Do you want me to check it or just put it in my pocket? No, you're good. I can, I can see that it's... Oh, okay. One, two, three, four, check, check. Okay. We are good. All right. Thank you, sir. See you in 45. Reformation shirt. I assumed as much. I got one more coming in. Okay, I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Um, Jim, would you like to open this up with prayer, please? All right, so let's pray together, shall we? Oh, Lord God, we just thank you for the time we can meet together here and and learn from your word. We thank you for John for sharing and and teaching us about the structure of Scripture. We uh, pray we can use that in whatever ministries we have, our neighbors, our Mm -hmm. families, whatever, to help us know you more. We, We pray you'd increase our knowledge. Amen. Thank you. Okay, well, we're continuing our introduction to theology classes. Um, The last couple of weeks, we have gone over exegetical theology, biblical theology, and this week we are focusing on systematic theology. Now, exegetical theology, basically that means our theology, what we believe about God and what we believe about what Christians are called to do, should come from the scriptures. And then in biblical theology, when we can, that basically means that we understand that the Bible was given to us as, as a story. There's an overarching narrative throughout the Bible, and all of the Bible is telling God's story of redemption. The Bible begins with creation, before sin entered into the world, and God and man had perfect fellowship with one another. They communed with one another, and that Fellowship was ruined when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God. That's when sin and death and suffering entered into, our, into God's good creation. And then God promises that through the seed of the woman, he's going to send someone that will crush the head of the serpent. And it begins the story of redemption. And the Bible traces uh, the seed of the woman through Abraham and David and finally through the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the Bible points to Jesus, and it's to bring us to faith in Jesus. So it's God's story of redemption. The Bible ends with God uh, ultimately crushing the head of the serpent at the, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus when he puts an end to evil and suffering in our world and creates the new heaven and the new earth, similar to the, to the Garden of Eden where we will enjoy fellowship with God without sin. And even this morning, just being in the church right now, it's just a small taste of 
the, the, the age to come that we all long for. And, and I love being a part of this church. I know you all love being a part of this church. We love one another, and it's just a, just a, just a taste of uh, what we have to look forward to. Okay, so just to review a little bit, I like to go over this every time I teach this class. Because all of our theology comes from the scripture, so it's very important that we affirm these truths here. So obviously we study theology because God has revealed himself to us. He has made himself known. Um, Those of us who are Christians, uh, God is transforming us into the image of his son, and we ought to seek to uh, imitate Christ and his godliness and holiness. And we study God from the scriptures, from his word. And there's a, speaking of systematic theology, this is an example of it, that Paul is explaining and summarizing the doctrine of the word of God. He's writing to a a young preacher by the name of Timothy, and he's trying to uh, encourage him to remain faithful to the truths that he's been taught, to protect himself, to protect Timothy and the church from false teaching. And he tells them, Uh, remember from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ in Christ Jesus all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete for every good work so we see here that all of scripture is God's word It, it is clear in the sense that even a child can understand it and it's sufficient, and it's able to bring us to faith in Christ. And by sufficient, we mean that God's word is sufficient to bring us to faith in Christ. It's sufficient for uh, teaching and reproofing and for correcting our false ideas. And it's sufficient to train us in righteousness and in equipping us to do good work. So we don't have to depend on uh, or wait for some mystical, spiritual person to come and tell us how we ought to live. No, the scriptures are sufficient. That's what is meant by that. And of course, Christians often say that the Bible is our only infallible rule for faith and practice. So the Bible, being God's word, is our final authority in matters of faith. That is what we believe. And it's our final authority in what we practice. That is what we do. So... Our final authority is not uh, our pastors or a preacher that we like or any religious leader or any religious group. Our final authority is God's Word, the Bible. So the Bible trumps any church tradition, church confession, uh, any of our opinions, anything that our uh, society wants to tell us. The Bible should uh, also trump our personal desires. And Christians should allow nothing that opposes God's Word uh, to control our beliefs or practices. So what we believe uh, should come from God's word. What we believe about God's character should come from his word. And what we believe about uh, our practice, the things that we do, the things that we abstain from doing, should come from God's word. So this week we are focusing on systematic theology. There we go. And those are some of the resources I used uh, in my class today. Uh, there's a lot of quotes from there, so just to give uh, credit where credit is due. 
the Gospel Coalition uh, had a couple of articles. One was written by Gerald Bray and another one by Wayne Grudem. And I also uh, use Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology textbook as well. So there'll be quotes from those uh, various sources throughout my lecture here. And these are just some helpful resources for those of you who wish to study systematic theology further. That's, uh, that's a popular one, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It's very uh, concise, very well written, easily uh, understandable. It's a great introductory systematic theology. The only caution I would have is that it's, it's so popular, it's so well written, as well as the ESV Study Bible that Wayne Grudem uh, has, uh, is the general editor of. It's easy for us to just read what Grudem says and not interact with other perspectives, so we just need to be aware that there's other perspectives and we need to be uh, influenced ultimately by God's Word. So that's why it's good to use other resources other than one person. So as good as Wayne Grudem is, uh, we don't want to just use him and nothing else. Another helpful resource is Lewis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. Another one is uh, written by Sam Waldron. It's an exposition of the 1689 Confession of Baptist Confession of Faith. And then I'm sure most of you are aware of uh, Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. That's here in Owensboro. Uh, started here at this church. Uh, they have many of their uh, classes available online, or you can audit them, I think, in person. You can go whenever they have them. Also, uh, this has been really helpful. Reform Baptist Seminary, uh, if you go onto their website, you can audit, I think it's almost all of their classes for free. Just sign up, and that was, that was great. I audited, uh, I think it's Michael Amati, I get them confused, Michael Amati, uh, his uh, New Testament class. It was great. So that's a very helpful uh, resource. If you want to study further, you can go to the Reformed Baptist Seminary, audit their classes for free. They even get the, syllab the syllabus so you can see what textbooks they use. You can so you can get a seminary education for free. So this is our outline uh, this morning. We're going to look at basically seeking to answer three questions. What is systematic theology? Why practice systematic theology? And how do we practice systematic theology? Okay, so the first one, what is systematic theology? Well, theology obviously means the study of God, and systematic simply means carefully organized topics. So thus, systematic theology, it's different from random theology or disorganized theology. Gerald Bray, he defines it this way. He says, systematic theology is the attempt to organize all Christian doctrines in a logical order. Systematic theology often starts with the doctrine of God or Scripture, and then these sections are followed by the doctrine of creation, providence, the fall, the nature of sin, the work of God in redemption, the work of God in the church, and in the end of history. So basically, again, systematic theology is seeking to organize all the truths that God teaches us in his word, and it puts it in an organized, uh, systematic way to, for ease of study. So Wayne Grudem, uh, he says that systematic theology, basically, it seeks to answer this question. What does the whole Bible say to us about any given topic? So if you wanted to know uh, more about prayer, you would ask, what does all of the Bible teach us about prayer? Or if you wanted to know more about the office of 
the deacon or the pastor, you would ask, what does all of the Bible teach us about the office of deacon or the office of pastor? Or if you wanted to study uh, the Lord's Supper, that's something that Christians are commanded to, to do. Remember the Lord Jesus through the, the breaking of bread. You might ask, what does all of the Bible teach us about the Lord's Supper? So that's what systematic theology is seeking to do. It's basically just answering the question, what does all of the Bible teach us about any given topic? So systematic theology involves studying all the relevant passage in the Bible on various topics, and then basically summarizing their teachings clearly so we know what we believe about each topic. So systematic theology, it includes the study of God specifically and his attributes. So the specific study of God is called theology proper. And in addition to theology proper, the study of systematic theology also includes other topics that the Bible addresses. For example, a theology of the Lord's Supper, theology of baptism, or a theology of heaven and hell. So the practice of systematic theology is it's seeking to study all the passages on a particular topic, and then basically it, it seeks to carefully summarize what the Bible teaches in a very brief and concise and understandable way. All right, so systematic theology, basically it just simply seeks to answer the question, what does the whole Bible say to us on any given topic? So hopefully by now we understand what is meant by the term, because some people actually object to it. And I believe uh, one of the reasons uh, people object to systematic theology is they really don't understand what is meant by it. Um, the first time I had ever heard the term, it was in a negative context. It was uh, some preacher I heard on the radio said something about the practice of systematic theology is, is putting God in a box and it's limiting God, saying what he can and can't do, and, and you can't do that. You can't put God in a box. So that's what I, that's the first time I've ever heard the word. But that's not what systematic theology is attempting to do. It's simply attempting to do what every Christian does, uh, study all the relevant scriptures on a certain topic and just summarize and explain it. Um, and even those who object to systematic theology, they actually practice it. So even someone who would say something like, you can't practice systematic theology because that puts God in a box. And you're like, well, why, why is that wrong? Well, God is so uh, all-wise and all-knowing and all-powerful, and you are just finite and you're fallen. That's systematic theology. They're summarizing what all of the Bible teaches about God, what all of the Bible teaches about man, and then they're explaining that to you. They're practicing systematic theology. So we can't get away from it. Um, so that systematic theology, um, properly understood, is something that we can't get away from. Everyone practices it, and that's how the Bible was given to us. Okay, so why do we practice systematic theology? Well, first of all, whether you're aware of, aware of it or not, you are a theologian. Everyone's a theologian because everyone has uh, beliefs about God and who he is. Everyone has beliefs about Jesus and who he is. Um, everyone has beliefs about salvation, how people are justified before God. 
Everyone has beliefs about how Christians ought to behave and how we ought to live. So we're all synthesizing those beliefs together. So we're, everyone is practicing systematic theology. So Christians who go to church, who go to Bible studies, who read their Bibles, who listen to sermons, they're all practicing systematic theology. As I mentioned before, even those who claim to oppose the practice of systematic theology, they have to practice it. We cannot answer the, from the Bible the question who, who, who God is without practicing systematic theology because God has revealed much about his nature and character, character through all of Scripture. And anyone who is trying to explain to someone else who God is is forced to use systematic theology and, and take into account all the Scriptures say of the nature and character of God. We can't answer the question, who is Jesus, with without uh, going to the Gospels and interacting with a variety of narrative accounts and and verses about the Lord Jesus. We have to practice systematic theology just to explain who we believe God is and who we believe Jesus is. So everyone practices systematic theology. So everyone in this class, you are a theologian. All right, so why, why should we practice systematic theology. Obviously, we're all, we're all theologians, but believers are called to, to teach the Word of God to their children. And that obviously would include summarizing all of the Bible's teaching on various topics. In Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So teaching all of the words that uh, the Lord spoke to the children of Israel through Moses includes uh, summarizing and explaining and considering all the words of God. We're also called, as Christians, we're to find our heart's delight in knowing God. Jesus taught that eternal life is knowing God. When he prayed in John chapter 17, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we practice systematic theology because our heart's desire, our delight should come from knowing God and more about him and who he is. Believers are also called to discern the will of God. Romans uh, chapter 12, 1 and 2, we're told not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Believers are called to know God. We're called to seek to imitate him. We're, we're, we're called to take on the mind of Christ in uh, 
Ephesians 5, 1, 2, it says, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Philippians 2, 5, it's encouraging Christians to be other-centered and not to be selfish and to seek the interest of others. And we're told to take the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we're called to know God, delight in him. We're called to obey him, uh, to think like him, to imitate him. We're called as Christians to teach others about him. So to, to practice all of this, that would involve summarizing all of the Bible's teachings on various topics. If we're told to instruct our children and they ask us a question, we need, if they ask, who is Jesus? If they ask us that, we need to summarize what all of the scripture teaches us about Jesus and explain it in a brief and understandable way. It's just, that's all systematic theology is. Christians were also called to protect the church from false teaching. So that's why systematic theology is very important for us to, to study. Because many false teachers quote Bible verses to promote their false teachings. Now, the devil quoted scripture when he was tempting the Lord Jesus. So the practice of systematic theology, it certainly can help uh, protect the church from false teachings. And remember, systematic theology doesn't seek just to take random Bible verses out of context, uh, just to promote certain uh, ideas that aren't taught in Scripture. If done properly, it seeks to carefully summarize what all of the Bible teaches about certain topics. So the practice of systematic theology is great in protecting the church from false teachings, especially if uh, they're quoting Bible verses out of context. In Acts 20, uh, uh, 27 to 30, Paul is trying to uh, protect and warn, I think it's the Ephesian church, about false teachers. And he says to them, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So he's emphasizing the truth that he taught the whole counsel of God. And he goes on to say, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in the church, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Peter uses that word twisting. He talks about false teachers and says they twist the scriptures. So Paul differentiates the way he taught He differentiates his teachings from false teachers by emphasizing the truth that Paul taught the whole counsel of the Word of God. So studying the whole Bible, studying what the entirety of Scripture teaches on a particular topic is the best way to protect the the church from false teaching. We also uh, practice systematic theology because the qualifications for a pastor or an elder uh, must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught. They are to know sound doctrine so that they are able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Okay, so those are some of the reasons why, as Christians, we should practice systematic theology. Okay, so how do we practice systematic theology? Okay. 
So obviously we would seek to study the whole counsel of God. We don't just pick random isolated verses. And whenever we're considering any topic, we want to ask ourselves, what does all of the Bible teach on a particular topic? Okay, and actually I missed something here. I apologize for that. Never mind, we're good. I'm just a little bit confused here with my notes, okay. Okay, yes, I did miss something. I apologize for that. All right, so we're focused right now on uh, why we practice systematic theology. Obviously, we are to, li- to delight in God. Uh, we are to imitate God and Christ. That includes uh, studying systematic theology. We're to teach it to our children, uh, protects the church from false doctrine. But another reason we practice systematic theology is because the Bible was given to us in a way that we approach it systematically. The Bible was not given to us like an encyclopedia. We can't go and look up uh, under B in baptism, and there we have a formulated statement, or the Holy Spirit, and go look under the letter H. The Bible wasn't given to us like an encyclopedia. God progressively reveals more about his, his, uh, his plan for the world, his character, Uh, what he calls us to do. He reveals to us more about Christ and who he is throughout the entirety of scriptures. So that's, that's another reason why we practice systematic theology, because the Bible was given to us in a way that requires us to practice systematic theology. And just to add one more thing, I, I, some people think that, uh, especially those who oppose systematic theology. Again, they think that you just take up all these isolated verses and just make it say whatever you want, but that's not what systematic theology is seeking to, to do when it's done properly. And some people would say that fundamental doctrines like justification in the Trinity are not clearly taught in the Bible and that theologians over the years just do that thing. They just grab random verses out of context and make up whatever they want to about how people are made right with God or the doctrine of the Trinity. But I would say that when the Bible speaks on core doctrines of the Christian faith, it does so very clearly. The doctrine of justification, how guilty sinners like us are made right and fit to live in the presence of God, that is clearly taught in the scriptures. That is not just random isolated verses taken out of context, thrown together. Uh, The book of Romans and the book of Galatians are theological works that explain the doctrine of justification, that we are justified through faith in Christ. Romans 5.1, we are justified through faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans is very clear on how we are justified, as well as the book of Galatians. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is, is very clearly taught. And I've even heard like Orthodox good Christians say, well, it's not really clearly explained. No, yes, it is. The Bible teaches clearly that there is only one God who created everything. That is undeniable. That is clear as clear as can be. The Bible clearly speaks of three divine persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly identifies Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as God. So there is one God, three divine persons that all share the one being of God, 
The doctrine of the Trinity is as clear as anything else that is taught in the scriptures. So both the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of the Trinity, core fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, are clearly taught in the scripture, and Christians who believe those things are not just randomly uh, taking verses out of context and making them up. They are clearly taught to us in the scriptures. Yes, they fall under the study of systematic theology because God has revealed himself to us in a way that we have to practice systematic theology. We take all the truths that God teaches us about himself, about justification. We summarize all the Bible's teachings, and then we're called to go into the world and to teach that, and that includes the practice of systematic theology. Okay, so that's why we practice systematic theology. So how do we practice systematic theology? Okay, so when we want to learn more about God, when we want to know more about what he calls us as Christians to do, we need to study all of the scriptures, we need to study the whole counsel of God, and basically just ask the question, what does all of the Bible say to us on a particular topic? So how do we practice it? Well, first, we seek a biblical basis for our doctrines. All of our teachings about God should come from what he says, not what we think or what we want to be true or what others tell us. It should come from God's word. 2 Timothy 4, 2 3, and 3 says, he's uh, writing to the young preacher by the name of Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So he's uh, encouraging this this young preacher to preach the word to combat uh, false teaching. Titus, again, another uh, young minister, was told to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Not your opinions, not what the culture tells you not what a particular religious group tells you, what accords with sound doctrine. So we seek a biblical basis for our theology. All of what we believe about uh, God and what he calls us to do should come from his word. We also study systematic theology with prayer. The psalmist says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. As Christians, God has gifted us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Through the Holy Spirit, we should... uh, Pray and, and seek uh, God's uh, blessing upon us as we study His Word. We want Him to open our eyes so that we can see the, the beauty that is in His Word. Uh, I remember watching a video on John Piper uh, teaching uh, young preachers how to preach, and he, he said, you have to be excited yourself. And if you read something and you're not excited, you have to pray, Lord, open my heart, give me a joy and a delight in your Scriptures, and just... Be relentless and pray and cry out to the Lord to to speak to you, to open your eyes so you can get excited about his word. So we uh, approach uh, the practice of systematic theology with prayer. Also with humility. Um, When we practice systematic theology, we understand that we live in a fallen world. We're all limited in in our minds and how much we've studied and how much of the Bible we know. So at times we will disagree with others and we must uh, study it with a heart of humility 
And we should seek peace. We should seek to build others up when we're discussing uh, systematic theology. Doesn't mean we don't disagree or uh, correct false teachings or allow ourselves to be corrected as well. But we're doing it with the purpose of seeking to build others up and, and seeking peace and Christian love. We're not doing it just to win an argument and we're not doing it to humiliate others and, and puff ourselves up. James chapter three seventeen says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, is gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it's impartial and sincere. So we should, we should be humble when we're uh, studying systematic theology. Um, we should practice good, sound reason, we know, knowing that contradictions... Contradictions are uh, not acceptable in the study of systematic theology because there are not any contradictions in, in, in the Bible because it's God's word and God cannot lie. God is perfect and all-wise and all-knowing in everything he says and does. So his word cannot uh, contradict itself. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures from forever. So God's word is true. There are no contradictions. There are no false teachings. That being said, there are things in the scriptures that God has revealed to us that are they're hard to comprehend. Um, they may seem contradictory to us. We cannot work. We personally, in our finite minds, can't reason things together. There's certain truths that are just, they're hard to grasp. Even Peter says there's things that are hard to understand. But we need to understand that there's not contradictions. God is not saying one thing somewhere and contradicting himself in another place. God's words are true. And sometimes there are mysteries that we cannot fathom, but that doesn't mean there's contradictions in the scriptures. So we also practice systematic theology with, with help from others. Of course, uh, the Lord has gifted the church with many gifted teachers, so we can read good books on theology. We can uh, speak with others in church. Uh, we're blessed here. We have re really good uh, preaching and teaching, and many of our members are equipped. Our, pa our pastors have equipped us well over the years. Uh, Ephesians 4.11 says that the Lord gave to the church the gift of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, or, or pastors or elders, if, you, if is another way to say that. And they are, the teachers, are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So we study systematic theology with the help from others. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We also study uh, the practice of systematic theology uh, with rejoicing and praise. So there, there should be joy in our hearts when we're studying these great doctrines. Uh, the psalmist says, How precious to me are your thoughts. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. So the psalmist here, he's overwhelmed with... Uh, with joy and praise for what God has revealed to him uh, through the scriptures. And, and this should be our posture as well. This should be our attitude. And of course, systematic theology, it should, it should be practical. The Bible uh, writers are constantly uh, applying what they teach about theology uh, to everyday life. 
After Paul uh, presents a lengthy theology in the first 11 chapters of Romans, when, when he gets to chapter 12, to the rest of the book, he concludes with how Christians are to live in light of the theology he's just laid out in the first 11 chapters. In Philippians chapter 2, the Christians there are told not to be selfish, but to treat others ahead of themselves, look out to the interest of others. And then it's supported with sound theology. Have the mind of Christ. Be like him. Christ... uh, Even though he was God, he humbled himself and took on humanity, and he became a servant. He became obedient to the point of death on a cross. So the practice of not being selfish and wanting to to serve others is backed up with, uh, I'll use some big words, some Christological systematic theology. And I intentionally use those big words to show you that those words are very practical, and they mean something. And we need to know those words. So the theology of Jesus, knowing who Jesus is, ought to shape our character. When we think of how Jesus served others, it ought to be practical in how we live our lives. So we think of how Jesus, uh, even though he, he is God, became a man and served others and even died on a cross. That should motivate us to serve others. Um, just in my, I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark, and before I read, I was thinking of certain because I serve a lot in, in the school, and I was thinking of, uh, I guess, cutting back a little. But the, and there's nothing wrong with doing that if I have other commitments. But I was thinking just about myself. I could do this. I could do. It was all about me. And then I, I open up my scriptures, and I'm reading uh, uh, when Jesus looked out to the crowds that came to him. It says, he had compassion on them. He was thinking about them. And it rebuked me because part of my decision with how much I serve in the school, I shouldn't just be thinking about me. I should think, how does it serve the other teachers? How does it serve the children? Because Jesus was compassionate and thought of others. So the study of theology is very practical. So finally, the practice of systematic theology, it ought to result in the Christian life being enriched and uh, deepened. Uh, The the practice of systematic theology, it it ought to result in Christians growing in our love for God and for others. And it should result in Christians experiencing personal spiritual growth. And if that's not happening when you're studying systematic theology, something is wrong. We need to be uh, growing in our love for God and others. We ought to be thinking of systematic theology, studying God's word as, as our greatest delight because as the Lord Jesus said that eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. And those who have been Christians among us the longest would probably testify to the truthfulness of that. I remember when I first uh, started going to church, uh, some of the older Christians would tell me that the longer you're in the church and the more you hear those truths about the gospel, the better it gets over time. And I didn't understand what that meant until years later. So now 20, 25 years later, I know what, that, what that's like. Those simple gospel truths, they become more precious the longer you're in the Christian life. And so systematic theology ought to, to result in just our love for God, which pours out to, to love for others.
So that, that, that's the end of our class today. So I'll just uh, close us with a word of prayer and then we, we will be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word that you have revealed to us. Uh, help us not to view uh, the study of your word or systematic theology as a dry, boring academic topic. Um, help us to realize what it truly is. It's just knowing you, the greatest being in all of the universe. We get a, a glimpse of your great beauty and, and, and glory when we, we look up and see the stars at night. When we see the sunrise and the sunset. They're just glimpses of your glory and beauty. Um, we love to look at other saints who are, who are godly and Christ-like, and they're just a glimpse of the beauty of Christ and his perfection. And thank you that you're conforming us into his image. So just encourage us, help us as a church to seek to uh, know you more, seek to be able to clearly explain the truths of the gospel to others, to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. We pray uh, for, the, for the service today that you would uh, bless uh, the preacher. We pray for those that will be here. We pray that you would uh, build up the believers that are here, encourage and comfort uh, those who are uh, struggling. We pray also that you would draw sinners to salvation in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Whoa. There we go, brother. Thank you, sir. All right.